All right, and we're live. Welcome, everybody. I'm joined today with Max Steinberg. I'm Andrew Sanchez, newest coach over at SaberSim. And this is our slot for our DFS office hours. It's a show where we answer questions that come in via Discord and live YouTube chat about how to use the tool and the SaberSim process and anything you guys want to talk about DFS related. So special show, Max reached out saying that he wanted to come on and talk a little bit about NFL this upcoming week. So Max, I'll hand it over to you. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Uh, would you mind if I shared my screen? Yep, Let's of see. course. Okay. Okay. Does everyone see? Does it look like this is working, Andrew? Yep, it's online okay. right now. Okay. So I was just thinking about basic NFL process type of stuff this past weekend because of sort of how it played out in week two with SaberSim and some of the things that happened. It made me think about, okay, what, what are we sort of hoping some things that you're going to do extra with SaberSim aside from just like pressing the build button, building lineups and sort of like taking what we're giving you. So I sort of have three things that I want to hit on is, is one thing that we want you to do is we want you to do research outside of SaberSim, right? We want you to read an article, listen to a podcast, read a lot of different stuff, look at what uh, sharp people on Twitter are saying and trying to figure out like, who do I like? Who do I not like? You know, how can, how can I sort of add to the SaberSim process with particular players or teams or game stacks or whatever? And a second thing we want you to do, and I'm going to get into this shortly, is we want you to use group rules. We want you to use stack exposures. We want you to use this new lineup rules, uh, advanced lineup rules feature that we have to, and I think that a lot of people sort of uh, think about this differently than I think about this. And I'm, I hope that maybe I can change your mind a little bit is use these rules to sort of eliminate all the lineups that you don't want instead of trying to get lineups that you do want. Because the great thing about SaberSim is we have all the simulation data that helps us build you lineups that are kind of going to be in the structure of what you want anyway. But what you really want to focus on is make sure you don't get any lineups that just straight up are the structure with players that you don't want. And the third thing is trying to mitigate your risk through stack exposures, uh, through max exposures, through player exposures, through everything to make sure that you're not just getting 100% of a player that you don't want or is too variant or you're taking too much of a stand and you're going to risk sort of like having a really tough week because with week two, it if you were just to click the build button and um, let it play out, you would have got pretty high leverage on a lot of players that ended up A, failing, which, okay, you know, that's partly on us, right? We have a proje high projection for these players, but also, you know, something where we would prefer you to sort of use your own discernment and try to figure these things out, right? So, just I did a build before um, we got on stream just to sh show you sort of like what the basic build ended up being for week two. And I keep the, keep in mind, this was 
for last week and not this week, but I think it's good for review. And as you can see, like this is a 150 lineup build, getting a lot of Devontae Adams, a lot of Greg Dortch, a lot of Derek Carr, a lot of Bengals D, right? And so the question for you is, is A, this could be a great starting off point to do some research and try to figure out, okay, like what should I be doing here? These are players that are going to be in a lot of my lineups if I don't change these exposures or projections. So what should I do here, right? One thing that I did in week two is I thought to myself, okay, Greg Dorch had a really good week last week. He's sort of in this Raiders-Cardinals game that's going to probably be really popular from what people are talking about. So he's probably going to be more popular than this 11% ownership projection that we have. And so he was someone where I'm like, okay, I don't want this much leverage on this player. I'm going to actually lower his max exposure to like 25%, right? I, or I think I maybe even did 20. And you know what? Like if he gets 25% ownership or more, you know, we're about even with the field. So if he ends up doing very well, totally fine. And if he doesn't, totally fine as well. But it sort of helps us mitigate our risk here. And in case he gets a high ownership number, right? You can also just go back to the home screen and sort of be like, okay, let me raise his ownership projection and rebuild. And we can sort of start working this way, trying to figure out, okay, like, how do I deal with some of this stuff, right? And um, another thing is just like, you know, I think in your process, doing some of these early builds and not just as like a research build, but just looking at what kind of lineups you're getting and sort of thinking about like, all right, like what is something I can be doing here in my process to sort of like do something differently with these lineups, right? You look at our top lineup, we have Derek Carr, Josh Jacobs and Devontae Adams. And I think what's sort of interesting here is you know, Saber Sim, it's simulating all the games. We're building lineups based on those simulations. And sometimes that's not going to sort of take into account things that are called pivots or players that can be pivots. And this was a situation where I'm saying, okay, you know what I want to do is I like Josh Jacobs. I like the Raiders passing offense. But if Josh Jacobs has a really good game, the Raiders passing offense probably actually is not going to have its ceiling game. And so what I'm going to do here, and this is something that I actually did in week two, is I'm going to set a lineup rule. And pardon me, because I'm I'm sort of like new to using this like everyone else. But I'm going to set a group rule that when, if I'm using Derek Carr, or I'm sorry, I'm going to do this a different way. I'm going to say we have Derek Carr. We have Josh Jacobs. And I'm just going to uh, use no more than one of these players and save that role. And so now when I build lineups, I am only going to get one of Carr or Jacobs. And what that does is, is two things. One is it sort of lets me use Jacobs as that pivot. And it's also going to help me when I'm building lineups sort of mitigate my risk with some of these Raiders stacks, right? Is I am getting a ton of Derek Carr. One of the 
best things you can do when you're building lineups to mitigate risk is mitigate risk through the quarterback, right? And so if I make it so Jacobs and Carr can't be in the same lineup, you're going to have a situation where you're going to get less Derek Carr and you're going to like get less Derek Carr in the situations where you now have a pivot off of him in case they just have a really good game running the ball, get to an early lead and just don't pass it as much as you think they're going to. And so that's, this is going to help us mitigate a risk. It's going to help us take a stand in a different way and it's going to be really helpful. So the things like this are just process things that we want you to do. And it's going to really help lower your risk, increase your profitability, profitability and do better overall. Right. Um, I would say I had one more thought and it just slipped my mind. I'm sorry about that. But um, do you have yeah, any other yeah. go-to rules that you like to set that maybe are not so specific, but point you in the right direction of like the stack types you want to get or the player combinations that you want to avoid week to week? Yeah. I mean, I usually do something where... I don't like using QB and defense together. Um, so usually I'm going to um, just sort of, and, you know, again, I'm sort of actually new to these rules as well. So um, so I think to accomplish what you're talking about, you would yeah. probably group by team. Gotcha. Okay. Because you, you're saying from the same team. So then. Yes, exactly. Um, right. Yes. One sec. And they were all grouped by no more than one player group by team and do QB and defense and do an auto rule. And yes, there we go. Which makes a lot of sense or else you're going to have yeah. to spot check most of your lineups to, to see if that's happening anyways. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's just, I think these rules are really awesome and are really helpful. And mainly it's just sort of me trying to, again, just eliminate all these lineups that if I saw it in my lineup pool, I'm like, nah, I'd rather just not have that. Like in some circumstances it might be good, but at the same time, you know, I I just don't, I, I would rather just not have to scan through and, and sort of figure that out. I'd rather use my time in a different way. Um, that's another thing though, it's like, you know, Bengals D, for example, again, is going to be really high owned. It's also a really good defense. It didn't end up playing out, but it's, I'm thinking, okay, how do I mitigate my risk with Bengals D, right? It's okay. You know, maybe if I use that role, I use some Joe Burrow stacks instead. Um, I'm going, and he's not even into my pool, so we can um, just do this and then, uh, send exposures back and then rebuild. But basically now if I use Joe Burrow, I'm going to end up pivoting off of some Bengals D in a way that's smart and I'm gonna end up mitigating my risk as well. So that was very, very long-winded. But basically my point is, is, you know, going into our Saber Sim and just hitting build and just like taking what it gives you is a good start. But you really wanna think about doing some research, using these lineup rules to sort of curate your lineups more, and then 
most importantly, just finding ways to mitigate your risk with some of these really high exposure players in a way that is going to give you better lineups, give you different types of lineups, give you sort of like this pool of lineups that is very good and isn't totally correlated and you're not going to ham on one particular player's stack. And you're going to end up, you know, having weeks where you're not going to just be like stone dead because the Raiders stack did not work, right? So, um, yeah, basically that's just sort of the point I wanted to make coming on here. No, and, and I think a lot of those points are are great, and it's awesome to hear from a DFS professional like yourself that even these are rules that you think a lot of people can start out with. Because I feel like, you know, we release a new feature, a lot of people don't use the rules, so sometimes they don't know where to start. So these are like ideas coming from you that they can take, and it's not always so slate-specific as far as like the QB and the defense, and it's just a good starting point for some of the people who are not so familiar with setting rules. Yeah, that actually made me think of one other thing too, because, you know, some people, you know, there's there's some ways that SaberSim is not going to account for variance when it's sort of like situational variance, right? And this really actually came in handy for me last week. And we was thinking about Paris Campbell and Ashton Doolin, um, because basically the Colts, for anyone who's playing week two, the Colts had a ton of wide receiver injuries. And so they were really down to just a few wide receivers. And to me, the two best options I thought were Paris Campbell and Ashton Doolin and Saberson thought the same, right? And they're both value wide receivers. And I think what Sabersim is going to do in this situation is Sabersim might play both of them in the same lineup because Sabersim is just sort of looking at it and we're signing them both the target share and they both could have good games at the same time, given theoretically what might happen. But they sort of have this variance of role, right? Is Paris Campbell could have a way bigger pass catching role because of all these injuries or Doolin could have a way bigger pass catching role because of all these injuries. And so one thing that I did was I made a rule where I just said max one of both of these players, because I don't want to use both of them in case one of them has a really big role and one of them has a really small role or vice versa. It can, this can play out in many different ways. And Sabres are just not going to account for that. So having a rule where you're sort of thinking about, okay, like if 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 there's variance skewed in the role in one direction, it affects this other player very negatively, then having that max one is going to really, really help you. One thing I did want to point out, because while you were talking, I just pulled this up. Paris Campbell did have slight negative correlation to Doolin with like a minus 0.06. So it is something that the correlation slider will take into account somewhat, but the negative correlation is just not strong enough for it to like completely rule that out. So I could see the use usefulness of setting the rule, but I mean, we're not just going to jam them both all all the time together. Right. Well, 
So here's the thing is, I bet their correlation is actually more negative because this is just a theoretical cor correlation given particular estimates for estimates for their target target shares, right? But their target shares have a lot of variance when it actually plays out in real time because we don't know what roles they're going to have. And for me, actually, you know, when when I was going through my week two process, I actually was boosting them both. I think I had, if I remember correctly, I had Paris Campbell at like 10 and a half, which ended up being very wrong, and Doolin at around nine. And that also might sort of make the builder sort of land on both of them a little too much, even with that negative correlation, because they're just such good values um, with my projection adjustment. Then what this does is this makes this just all sort of like mitigates that a lot more where I'm like, all right, I can sort of control how many lineups do I want Doolin? How many lineups do I want with just Campbell? And how many lineups do I want with neither of them? And it makes it a lot easier to control. So that's just something to keep in mind as well. So I have a question for you because I saw a lot of talk about this on like DFS Twitter and, and different shows. What are your thoughts on grouping out the quote unquote like cash players like Carr, Adams, Dorch, and some of those other like pivots and just setting a rule like only max two, max three, max four? What are your thoughts on something like that? Yeah, that I think that's interesting. Um, I mean, the thing is with specifically Dorch, Adams, Carr, et cetera, and maybe including Waller and that is they're all from the same game, right? So they are actually pretty correlated. So, you know, I, I heard you talking on the stream a couple of days ago when we we're introducing these lineup rules and you're saying how in, in baseball, you know, like grouping the weather team together right when there's like right. a dicey weather game just grouping that team i almost would maybe go the opposite and just say if you're going to build a lineup with adams and Carr, like it has to use dorch don't have just like one-off dorch lineups or one-off adams lineups or whatever and just sort of contain your lineups with them only to those type of game stacks and just take advantage of the people who are just sort of one-offing these players where, um, you know, they might not end up having a good game on their own, right? Um, but together, you know, if Adams Carr have a really good game, it probably means that there's a lot of passing and Dorch is going to have a good game as well. So I think I'd actually do the opposite where I'm not trying to just like limit to two or something like that. So so trying to get that game stack, that, that run back, in, especially when the players that are chalky are from the same game. You, you right. like not, not pivoting too hard off of that angle. I mean, just, I would just say limit your exposure to that game stack, but sort of make sure you have the game stack instead of trying to just find, you know, like only use Devonte Adams or, or only use Dorch or something. Like that. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, you're getting a little laggy. Oops. I'm sorry, I don't, uh, I'm not sure what to do about that. Maybe I'll just stop sharing my screen. Better? Uh, your your voice is coming in just fine. I'm waiting for your picture to, to come back. Oh. 
looks okay. I think I think you're okay. good now. So I'll I'll throw okay. my uh, screen up on the um, stream right now. But uh, Max, there were just a couple questions that came in while you were talking that I wanted to uh, go over with you. So sure. one of them came in from Miranda Carson. Miranda said, "Are there certain podcasts you'd recommend for research? Is researching the night before what's best?" Um, I usually listen. To, I mean, there's a ton of podcasts. I listen to the Established to Run podcast. I listen to the PFF Fantasy podcast. I mean, there's so many. It's it's kind of crazy, but. Um, I think an underrated one is the PFF fantasy one is they really know their stuff. These guys are obsessed with football and it, there's a lot of good nuggets in there. So right on. Thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, let's see. One from DJ Sirius before running Sims, how important is it to look at the Vegas point totals and model your lineups off higher point totals versus lower ones, or does the SIM account for this? So, so really quickly, the SIM does account for this. I would like to hear where you stand on our team totals versus Vegas and taking stands or trying to move closer to Vegas. Uh, what do you think, Max? You know what? I, I actually don't even think about it. I, I know that a lot of people do, but I feel like, you know, I'm trying when, when I'm trying to do my research and, and trying to figure out who to play, I'm sort of just trying to leverage off of the players that I'm researching that I really like. Right. So um, if I remember last week, um, one passing game I liked, and this did not work out, was Denver, um, just because I thought they were just so going to be concentrated to Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton. And I don't really, you know, I'm just not thinking about the point total there. I'm just thinking, okay, like, you know, who might do well if Denver's passing game does really well, thinking about Houston players I can run it back with, things like that, lineup constructions, thinking about defenses and running backs that are sneaky that I can pair, all of that stuff. But Vegas point totals, it's sort of like, okay, this team's supposed to score 24 points. So, okay, great. Now what? You know, it's like some mm -hmm. team's supposed to score 18 points or this game's supposed to um, – you know, has an over under of 38. It's like, yeah, I mean, we're taking all of that into account. I don't think there's any extra signal in trying to avoid those low total games or trying to get more of this high total games. Uh, and in fact, you know, usually if there's a really high total game, people are going to be on it anyway. So you're probably, uh, if, if there's no signal at all, you're actually just making your lineups worse because you're going to just be more with the field. Good answer. Uh, one <laughs> question I had personally is when you see like a team getting talked up throughout the week and you look at our ownership totals, what is like a signal for you or maybe like a, uh, do you compare it by other projected players at like a similar point total and you look at their projected ownership or what what helps you determine like oh yeah i gotta boost this person's ownership and how much do you think is a good amount to boost by yeah that's a great question um i think actually you can mess with our ownership projections a lot more safely or uh, what's the word for it? Like there's more, there's more utility. You can sort of go crazier adjusting your ownership projections because you can actually find pretty good signal, right? I mean, things I look for is, is it being talked about? Are this player being talked about on Twitter or on 
podcasts or whatever, I'll look at different websites and look for the cover photo for like a top plays article, right? Because whoever's on the cover photo is probably like the most talked about play. And without fail, they're usually going to have higher ownership. And thinking about as well, just like, you know, people love doing quarterback plus two stacks with a bring back, right? People love game stacking that particular way. So if you think the Raider stack is going to be popular, which was like very clear last week, then it makes perfect sense that, okay, who are people going to bring back with this Raiders stack? They're going to bring back Greg Dorch. They're going to bring back Marquise Brown. We're not sort of taking that into consideration. We don't have a, a human being made, calculating these ownership projections. We're just looking at what our lineup builder is building with some of the projections that are out there, some of the information out there, and just seeing what people might build. But there's some nuance to that that we might not be picking up on. And then there's also just like a youth, you know, it's like someone like AJ Brown is just going to be someone who people are going to gravitate towards a lot more than AJ Green. AJ Green, like no matter what he, he would need to do like a ton of games, just killing it before people are like, oh yeah, I kind of want to use AJ Green. He might be 34 years old, but maybe he's back, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, AJ Brown, one game where he killed it, everyone would be like, oh, this is the greatest wide receiver in the NFL because he's young, he's athletic, he's big. And you just sort of have to, you can sort of intuitive intuit it, right? It's like, if someone is someone who are like, wow, I feel intuitively really good about this player, probably other people who are playing DFS feel that way as well. Yeah, I I was very um, cautious with my Carr and Adams exposure last week because it just felt like everyone knew they were the play. And as soon as everyone starts to just feel like, oh, the Raider stack is just a lock, I get really nervous. So I tried to dial that back down a little bit. Yeah. No, I mean, and that's, I mean, you know, we did, I did a default build. There was a lot of car and there's a lot of Adams, right? And I actually don't know. I know they ended up being a very high on combination. And, you know, the fact that they, a lot of times, if you try to sort of fade that situation, it might backfire really, really hard. And, it's just going to do well. There's many times where I've tried to fade like Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, and it just does not work. Right. Um, and we're not talking about just like completely now fading this thing that Saperson is recommending to you. I'm just saying that it's like, think about how much you're like how this can go wrong. Try to mitigate your risk smartly and be really intentional about who you're getting leverage on. You want to be getting leverage on players that you personally, given your research and, and, and just your thoughts about DFS strategy, that you really like. And if Sabersim is giving you a bunch of a player that you're not, you can find some holes in, then maybe that's time for you. Maybe, maybe you should be scaling back that risk a little bit and scaling back that exposure a little bit and finding ways to do that. Right. And I think that goes very well with the theme that we've been talking about a lot, which is build, review, adjust. And right. that if you're not comfortable with the lineup set that SaberSim's giving you, it's a great time to go into the max exposures in a build, dial it down, maybe dial some players up, 
send that back to the home screen and then rebuild with those new inputs. Right. Exactly. So a couple more questions right here. One from James Malloy. James said, do you guys believe in double <laughs> stacks with a run back? Yeah. So I was just talking about this. Um, it's that's really popular. And so the the good thing is that if you build with Saversim, there's a you will get a lot of those. And the reason is because it's a very nicely correlative uh, stack that um, you're not having that much anti-correlation with the two receivers who are on the same team. You get correlation with someone coming back. It's great. It also is not, I personally, and I think most of the team agrees with me, I don't, I, I don't see any value in forcing that in anymore than what is sort of naturally happen happening, taking into account correlation upside that SaferZim's already doing. Um, so yeah, it's good. People also do it a lot, especially if you're playing higher stakes. And so do I believe in it more than whatever the field is doing? No, I don't. I think the field probably handles it pretty well or, or maybe even overstacks in that way. Um, but it's it's obviously is a good play, but it's just not something that you need to force in or or get overzealous with. Right, and I love running a test build and going into the build and looking at the stack types and seeing what SaberSim thinks is op is the optimal rate for that build specifically, since it's so popular. And then I'll just kind of understand where the other builds come in and just get a nice diverse pool of different stack types. And I'm not hammering QB plus two with the bring back because that's what every article says you should put in your stacks. That's what takes down Millie makers. Right. Okay. Uh, quick question right here from Nelson. Don't know if Max plays any of the smaller showdowns for the one or four o'clock games, but wondering how he would approach those differently from the big primetime showdowns. Huh. I mean, I don't actually play those showdowns very often unless I have something that I, like a particular player that I like so much that I'm like trying to figure out every single slate. I can play that player and get uh, leverage on him. Um, I would say the only difference is you're just, you know, with, Big primetime slates, a lot of times you're thinking about duplication with showdown is, is trying to get a lineup that's not duplicated. On the smaller showdowns, that's a lot easier to do. And so you don't need to worry about going too crazy. Um, this past uh, Thursday, yesterday, how, how many days ago was that? Thursday, yesterday, yeah. I was playing yesterday. showdown and I straight up eliminated every lineup I had that was over 49,000 uh, salary. Um, so, you know, that's something sometimes you have to do things like that to avoid duplication, but in a smaller showdown, you, I probably wouldn't do that at all. Uh, question. Cause you sent a message in the NA in the NFL channel on discord last week, and you called out a specific players that you thought were going to be higher owned in yep. single entry and three max, as yep. opposed to large field. So when you build your lineups, like, will you separate and do two different builds, like one for large field and then one for small field? Yes. Um, usually I separate it. I have a specific build that's for higher stakes and single entry. 
Um, and yes, um, when I did the build, I actually just straight up excluded Greg Dorch and um, I excluded one other player, but I don't remember who it was. So, so will you yeah. like bump the ownership? It might've been Saquon actually. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so, so do you make ownership adjustments and say like, okay, I'm going to build for my 150 maxes and then run your build, maybe put your lineups in and then go back to the home screen and then make new adjustments for those smaller field or high stakes tournaments and then rebuild? Um, yes, except the adjustments I'm making it is just basically changing some max exposures, um, maybe eliminating players from the field or, or, or basically trying to get, you know, when, when you're building, most of the things you're thinking about is who do I want leverage on and who do I not want leverage on, right? And so um, in, in small, in, in the, like this, the larger field tournaments that are smaller stakes, like I, I'm not, I don't know that, you know, the Raiders are going to be that popular, you know, people like doing a very wide array, array of things. There's a lot of recreational players in that. So I don't know where people are going to land, right? The Bengals D was an example of this as well. It is, I was thinking, okay, in large field, you know, it makes sense that the Bengals D might get 40 or 50% ownership, but you know, everyone knows that they're going to be really high on. So maybe the field does something weird and people know that defense is pretty random. So maybe they get 30% ownership. So, you know, I am more happy taking a stand there and not trying to get too cute with it and trying to like fade them entirely or avoid them or whatever. But in smaller fields uh, or smaller fields, higher stakes, single entry, you know, people are just going to be a little more happy being chalky, especially if they don't think they're going to be chalky, like Greg Dorch. I bet a lot of people did not think to themselves, oh, you know, he's going to be really chalky. They thought maybe they're getting they're being clever and they get really steamed in those, those fields. So I try to figure out what players might really just have high ownership. I thought Saquon Barkley was one that was just going to be really, really popular. And, uh, basically just try to avoid them. Thank you for the uh, insight. Cause I, Jordan and I will go back and forth. I like to do like two separate builds and kind of think about them a little different. Jordan's talked a lot about like just kind of building it all together and letting the cards fall where they fall. So yeah, just wanted, wanted to hear your take on it. Right. I mean, I think it's also really interesting with the low end plays, right? Because when you're playing in a higher stakes or smart, smaller field or single entry, there's going to be players that you actually can get that are like one, 1% 1 owned. What a player really liked last week was Pat Fryermuth. And in high state, I, you know, in my regular lineups, I'm like, all right, you know, he could end up being like five to 10% owned. And that's sort of like, you know, I don't know if he's a good play at that sort of ownership, but in high stakes, he was like 1% on. So getting leverage on him, if he has a really good game, is just really, really valuable. And so it can also work in that way where some of your kind of more far out plays can actually pay better in single entry or higher stakes if if you're right. So that's something keep, that I try to keep in mind as well. So uh, it looks like we don't have any more questions. I did want to... Um 
pick your brain on one other thing before you okay. go. Gotcha. Um, no, let me just pull this up really quickly. I'm just hovering over to the uh, slate coming up. All righty. Um, you know what? I'm not able to find it right now. It's okay. Um, okay. Well, Max, thank you for coming on. Uh, you reached out. You wanted to give this demo and share your thoughts with all the Sabersome users. And I think it's awesome hearing from you and uh, getting to ask questions from somebody playing those larger field tournaments who's been doing it for a long time. So thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Have fun for the rest of the show. Will do. Good luck this weekend. All right. So awesome to hear from Max. Max is a DFS pro who's been in the game a long time. He really knows what he's doing. And uh, that was actually my first time getting to talk some theory with him and uh, see where he falls on a lot of the items that come up in the community a lot. So we're going to get back to our regularly scheduled DFS office hours. Any questions that were coming in in Discord and YouTube chat, we're going to get to those now. So I'm going to hop over to Discord. Let me share my screen. Put this up here. All right. And the first question that came in this morning was from Coach B. This is a three-part question. So let me just throw this up on the screen. And Coach B said, when do you use quick swap versus late swap? Is it just time dependent? If I have the time, is it always better to do a late swap? So Coach B, I'd say that the best time to do it is before, like if we're talking about football specifically, I would always do a quick swap before the afternoon games get started just to make sure that in case any players got ruled out that was in your lineups that they get removed and you get actual players who are playing in the game there is a argument to be made that to run a late swap every time sims are run so inactives will come out and we'll run new sims for the four afternoon games I think it's perfectly fine to run a late swap if you're not super opinionated about if that ends up changing a lot of your lineups. I think it's a good opportunity to look at where your standings are. So if you're in 10 contests, see how you're doing and see if if you're having a great day, then maybe you don't want to late swap with the same settings that you built with. Maybe you want to dial down the correlation, dial down the ownership and play some of the better plays in the afternoon games to help you climb up the leaderboard. Cause if you had some dart throw 1% guys or just low ownership guys in general that just already popped off, then you don't need to get too cute with the rest of your lineup and you can play some of those chalkier plays. Um, I think that's where I would fall on the issue for sure. So then second part of the question is then if you do quick swap, when do you use best available versus best from that team to keep your stacks? So I think this is 
a better use case for baseball specifically. We implemented this specifically for baseball. So you could keep your five stacks or four stacks or whatever stacks you were running. Because let's say that Josh Donaldson is not playing third base and Isaiah Kinner Falefa is, and you want to swap out the Donaldson, but you don't want to reduce your stacks from four stacks with Donaldson to three stacks with a one-off third baseman. You want to get, you want to maintain that correlation in your lineup. So I don't think that using the swap from best on the same team is that useful for football. I would mostly use that for baseball. And then last part of the question from Coach B. If you use late swap, does it keep the same rules slash adjustments you made in the build or just the rules adjustments you make before your build in the projections or both? Side question, is there a plan to be able to filter by 95th or 99th percent? Thanks. So the answer to your first question here is that the late swap will honor any rules, min or max exposures from team stacks, game stacks, stack types by player on the projection screen. So if you have max exposure of 50% here and you come in here and you do a late swap, then those rules and exposures will always be honored. So that's something that I think is going to be very important when basketball comes around, which is right around the corner. If you feel very particular, if you want to get a high-owned player in your lineup, I would make sure to set their min exposure on the projection screen before you start late swapping every 30 minutes when new games start for basketball. And then to answer your second question about being able to filter by 95th or 99th percentile, the answer is yes. Jordan and I are 95th percentile truthers. And we have mentioned it to the team. So they're going to be adding that in the near future to be able to filter by uh, any any of the percentiles, not just 95th or 99th. All right. Next question came in from Soccer Kid 37 in Discord. And the question is, when building MLB lineups, a lot of the time I get 90 plus percent of a pitcher. What ways do you handle this? So... Let's go over to baseball. We could talk about tonight's slate a little bit. And honestly, the easiest way for me to handle it is I just lower their projection in a build, and then I send those back to the home screen, and I'll rebuild with my new max exposure. So I think something to hit on here is like there's nothing wrong with lowering the exposure and managing your risk. So that's a, something we talk about a lot in step three is that you want to just manage your risk and find exposures that you're comfortable with. So there's nothing wrong with sending those back to the home screen and rebuilding at uh, an exposure setting that you're comfortable with. And two, I also think it depends on the ownership of the player Sometimes we'll get a slate where Jacob deGrom is pitching and there are no other good pitchers on the slate. And in those situations, your leverage on Jacob deGrom 
is lower overall. So 90% in a situation like that is a lot different than 90% in a situation where there are a lot of pictures on the slate. So we're seeing something similar to that here tonight. We have just huge leverage and ownership on um, Garrett Cole. So he's coming in at about 58% owned. We're a little over the field on him in our pool of 500 lineups. If this is too much for you and you say, no, I don't feel that strongly about Garrett Cole or that's just a little too much risk. He always gets lit up by Boston, which I don't know if that's a that's true or not, but you can just lower this here, which is fine. We're going to say keep editing. If I want to make any other changes, I can do that as well. And then I can send the exposures to the home screen and then rebuild, and I won't have more than 60% of Garrett Cole. So nothing wrong with managing your risk there. Hopping over to YouTube chat. I see we have one question right here from DJ Sirius669. Will there be a video on how to use the new tools for NHL? Uh, DJ Sirius, yes, we will make sure to have content that comes out prior to NHL starting. I know we're only a couple weeks away, so you should be seeing something from us in the next week or two just about um, our guidelines for using the new rules and NHL strategy overall. So that's something we'll be putting out in the near future, getting ready for hockey season. All right. Another question right here from Noah Sharp. I had a cash game question. The whole DFS industry has basically been saying besides single entry, double ups and low stake head to heads, cash is unbeatable. Yet I still see pros with 150 lineup trains. Do you still think there's EV in the $25 double ups with all the lineups? So no, good question. Why is everybody talking about it? And then people are still playing it. So I think that where we fall on the cash game mantra is that cash is just very hard to beat at, in 2022 in DFS. There are so many different projection sources and it's very easy to build a cash lineup. I would say the reason you're seeing 150 trains from pros is because they have a specific lineup that they just think is very EV and they just want to grind out any edge that they can. I would say unless you're a top, top player that you can get positive ROI in other places other than cash. I personally don't play cash. I know that most, if not all of the people on the team are mainly focused on GPPs. We just don't think it's a great use of your, your time and bankroll allocation. You can get a lot better bang for your buck playing GPPs and focusing on that side of the DFS landscape. I'm not seeing any other questions. I know that um, the office hours was titled NFL process with Max Steinberg and Matt came, Max came on for 30 minutes, gave us a lot of insight into how he thinks about NFL DFS. But if you have any questions leading into the weekend, now's the time to ask them. I'm going to hover over to NFL uh, 
if uh, the stream sounds better or looks better, you can credit that to Andy, CEO of SaberSim. He hooked me up with the new mic and the new camera. So shout out to Andy. I hope the stream is coming in a lot better than it ever has before. You can uh, see the mic here on the screen. And uh, I hope the picture is clearer than ever. So this will be the new setup going forward. Uh, excited about it. Looking forward to continuing to use it. And uh, I still don't don't see any questions. So I think we're going to call it there, guys. Good luck in your contest this weekend. If you guys are having any issues with the lineup rules, feel free to reach out to support or in the Discord channel. Ask your guys' questions wherever for whatever sport you're playing. The team will be around, and we're always ready to help out in any way we can. So thank you, and see you guys next week.